Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the Internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I couldn't ever envisage being in a band with my brother. We'd end up fucking strangling each other, you know. Hello and welcome. This is episode 19 of the Paul Ryder Tapes. I'm Angela Smith. I'm the ex-wife of Paul, who sadly passed away in July of 2022. In the months leading up to his death, he sat down with me and told his complete life story. All of the triumphs and all of the tears with an unprecedented level of bravery. We finished recording just 12 days before he died. Coming up in this episode. If anyone had said that we'd be buying our son for his, was it his 13th or his 14th birthday? I think it was his 14th. Grow equipment. I just thought they were insane. Yeah, yeah. But it just seemed like the right thing to do, given it was the medicine that had probably saved his life. Yeah, and he took to it like a duck to water. We'd only just got in the rose of hell when we heard gunshots. Somebody up the road had fired a gun at somebody. The next thing I really knew was, yeah, they were going to do a song with him and um, Mike Pickering was going to remix Wim Away and he was part of the factory team and they were going to sign him and shit, so it happened quite quickly. When I got clean, I think I turned to sex. Right. A bit of a sex addiction. It's Paul on my shoulder all the time, you know. Don't make a dick of yourself, don't, you know, because I would, you know, and keep, keep it real. If you could go back and do do your life again, mm-hmm. are there some things that you wouldn't do? do yeah, you... I wouldn't have tasted heroin for the first time. That's, that changed my life for many years. Right, but then again there's the argument that if you hadn't done that, <clears throat> you would have gone down a different path. Where would that path have oh, led you? Definitely alcoholism. Oh. <laughs> so maybe you made the right choice. Maybe I did make the right choice. No, I would never. Alcohol's worse than any drug. 
Well, in ex- to excess. Yeah, if, you, if you're an addict and you've got the addict gene like I have, then, yeah. then it's going to kill you. It's going to kill me. Yeah. So do you regret picking up heroin with hindsight now? With hindsight, God, eh? everything's different, isn't it? Right, but, but... But... Yes, I regret it, but where would I be if I hadn't have done? Mm. What what space would I be in right now? Mm-hmm. Don't know. Mm. Probably a bad space. <laughs> <laughs> but right now I'm in a good space. I mean, I actually feel that people that have been through addiction and come out the other side are actually better people as a result of having gone through and done their work and come out the other side potentially yeah you gotta you can't just stop for me i couldn't just stop and then carry on life i had to have aftercare Mm. for me people do stop and carry on with life and get a great life Mm. but not for me i had to have aftercare Mm -hmm. and that is what made me who and what i am right now Mm-hmm. And part of aftercare is helping other people too, isn't it? Yeah. How do you how do you do that? I suppose just by being there for them and being an excellent, a living example of it can be done. Mm. You can stop taking drugs and drink and have a life. Mm. I thought my life was going to be really boring if I stopped doing that. But it turns out there's not enough hours in the day for me to do everything I want to do. Wow. Okay, so what are those things that you want to do? Oh, God, just simple things like go for a walk. Mm. Very simple things like make a bit of music on the computer, Mm -hmm. sit and watch a TV show. Mm. I missed out on so many films when I was using and drinking. I'm still catching up today. In terms of, in the last episode, we were talking about Chico being sick. Uh-huh. How, how did that affect you as a as a human being? Like, how did it affect you as a dad? Oh, God, it was crippling. It really crippled me for a while, and I still got my head around it, knowing that he was going to get better. But when I didn't know he was going to get better, well, I always knew he was going to get better, but when he was first ill, it was like, I can't do anything. Mm. I cannot do anything. It's down to the medication that he's going to have to take. Mm-hmm. I can't physically put my hands on him and say, there, you better. But we didn't just sit back and keep our fingers crossed that Western medicine would cure him. We did our homework and discovered an array of natural medicines that we believed helped save Chico's life, including cannabis oil, which we gave to him in large doses, guided by the experts that we found. His oncologist was initially sceptical, but once he saw how it helped Chico as he went into remission from the cancer, he had a dramatic change of heart. As Mara Gordon, the internationally renowned cannabis expert who treated Chico, explains... Dr. Fetterman, you know, he was, he was, he's such a kind man and he's such a gentle man. And I'm really glad that he was the one that was looking after Chico because even though he didn't support cannabis and he thought it was just as soon to throw it in the garbage or flush it down the toilet as to use it to treat cancer, he didn't stop you. He didn't like threaten to call child protective services, which back in those days, the little girl. Oh, for example, that Chico was kind of friends with, that's, you know, I mean, they were having to hide. It's crazy. Yeah. So Fetterman um, 
Fetterman was definitely not an ally. He wasn't a foe, but he wasn't an ally. And after he started seeing the results of how it was working to not only um, uh, help Chico make it through the, the chemo sessions, because he said himself he'd never seen anyone suffer as bad of side effects from chemo as Chico. Um, uh, that he also saw that it had other benefits as well. It was helping his appetite. It was probably helping to kill the cancer. It was certainly protecting him. The amount of neuropathy that he would have had versus what he does have and some of the other side effects long-term of chemo, he was shocked. And so um, I had Aunt Zelda's and I started Zelda Therapeutics, which is now Zalira Therapeutics. And we were set up to... Um, to do uh, clinical and preclinical trials uh, on various different types of diseases. And um, shockingly, he actually ended up being on our advisory board um, for this, you know, because he saw, number one, that we were serious, that we were not like hippy dippy, you know, grandma day bullshit. There you go. You by swearing. I mean, we weren't doing that whole, you know, Rick Simpson, crazy, idiotic grandma day thing. We weren't using butane. We were using lab tested. Everything was like he couldn't come up with an argument that we couldn't facilitate him having ease with. And so it was like, it removed his obstacles. And I think that was really positive. And um, yeah, he ended up being an ally. I ended up sending him topical, a case of it for him to give out to his patients to help with the radiation. And how did that make you feel that you couldn't do that? Useless. Mm. Pretty, pretty damn useless. Yeah. I had to wait it out. I had to practice patience. Mm Mm-hmm. You were a bit of a mess, though, throughout that time. I mean, we both were, I suppose. Yeah, it was a whirlwind. Hmm. Didn't expect that to come in my life. No. Yeah. And what about the temptation to pick up and use again during that time? Well, I had my little flirtation with the over-the-counter medication. Oh, and also... Do you remember his bottle of morphine? <laughs> Oh, no, tell me about that. <laughs> so Chico was prescribed morphine at one point, and I thought, I'm going to have to Yum. hide this from Paul. Mm-hmm. But you found it, and oh. the, the level kept going down. Oh, it was quite nice. Yeah. Yeah, so you had a little slip there, didn't you? I had a little slip with his morphine. I really wanted to try it. Yeah. And I did do. Yeah. Um, I hid it really well as well. I hid it in the bedroom in a, in a, a cupboard under the windowsill, under a load of curtains, and you still found it. And the level kept going down. I was like, I haven't given any of this to Chico. Why is the level going down? Mm. And you're like, oh, I don't know. I'm, like, I knew. The curtain monster. I knew that you'd had some, but you were denying it and denying it. Of course it. I'm going to deny that's, it. that's like the insanity, isn't it, mm. of addiction? Of course I was going to deny it. That was a huge, uh, huge blow to my ego. Yeah, anyway, sorry, I interrupted you. Talk about the -the over-the-counter meds that you were struggling with. Yeah, uh, you can't get them in America, but you can get them in... I was going to England. Was I going to England? Yeah, you were. Don't say what they are because you don't want to give people... No, but they had codeine in them. Uh, I took a fancy to them for a couple of months. Yeah. And uh, 
I mean, that know. actually, that medication that you can get over the counter in England was actually what, what pushed you into your last rehab. Right. Or not your la- the one that brought us to the US. Yeah. You weren't addicted to street drugs at that point. Yeah. You were addicted to over-the-counter meds that you can buy in boots. Yeah. Which is really frightening, isn't it? Very when you frightening. Think about it. Yeah, yeah. They're banned almost all over Europe and in, in, mm. in America. But in mm. England, you can still get them. Yeah. And uh, you were on a lethal dose of, oh of God, these things yeah. because it, they also had paracetamol in them, and you were taking so many. I remember the doctor saying that you were on a lethal dose of paracetamol every day. Yeah. It's amazing that your liver didn't fail. I mean, you're like Iron Man, really, that huh. you're still walking around given what you've done to yourself. Yeah, paracetamol's really dangerous. I heard a story once about this girl that took a paracetamol overdose and they rushed her to hospital and pumped out her stomach. Mm-hmm. But the next day, she died because it had got into her liver. Mm. Yeah. You know. It's really, really dangerous. Really dangerous. So, uh, after Chico got through his treatment, yeah, it was pretty rocky, wasn't it, at home? It was. We had a bit of a rough time. with You were rocky. Things yeah. were not yeah. going well no. at home. My, uh, my, my medication for my psychiatric doctor wasn't... It needed tweaking, mm. and it wasn't working right. Mm. You know, um, eventually it got tweaked and yeah. sorted me out. But what I do remember from that period is he's getting better. Chico's getting better. Was um, he became an expert weed grower? Oh yeah. <laughs> and for his fourteenth birthday, it was like, "What do you want for your birthday?" Well, I want lights, an extractor fan, a tent some seeds, some soil, and uh, some kind of sprinkler system. (laughs) And it was, right, okay, you can have exactly what you want. Yeah. And he he grew his own crop. Yeah, so we bought him... I mean, if anyone had said that we'd be buying our son for his... Was it his 13th or his 14th birthday? I think it was his 14th. Grow equipment, I'd have thought they were insane. Yeah, yeah. But... It just seemed like the right thing to do, given it was the medicine that had probably saved his life. Yeah, and he took to it like a duck to water. We always wanted to grow. He was telling me when he was 11 years old that he wanted to make medicine to help other children. He couldn't understand why other children didn't get to access this medicine. He he experienced firsthand the power of this plant as a anti-emetic, anti, you know, anti-pain uh, and, you know, all these different things. He had experienced this, so he knew that it wasn't BS. He knew it wasn't about getting high. And frankly, if they enjoy it, that's even better. It's so, it's such a Western philosophy to think that you have to suffer to get well, that medicine has to make you feel terrible. No, it doesn't. Yeah. And we need to rethink the way that we approach that puritanical approach to medicine. So uh, anyway, Chico wanted this greenhouse and, you know, money's always tight or whatever. And you found this great deal on one that hadn't been used, but it had been taken apart and put together and was being sold as a used greenhouse. And my husband, Stuart, is, you know, can do anything. He's like a magic man when it comes to, you know, anything with his hands. And he said, yeah, I'll help you put it together. And then he's like, where are the directions? (laughs) (laughs) What directions, you know? So he and and Paul, you we sat inside and kind of watched them most of the time. And then we kind of sat and watched like it was an audience. I just needed popcorn for the show. (laughs) 
<laughs> because Paul and Stuart and Chico were all, you know, like falling over each other like a slapstick to get this thing put together, which of course they eventually did. But I think Paul was a little bit shocked at himself that he was helping to build a greenhouse for his son to build weed. I mean, to grow weed, to grow cannabis. Yeah, um, it was it was a lot of fun. It was a lot of fun that day. It was kind of crazy, but it was a lot of fun. And and I'm so grateful now when I look at the path that Chico has taken and is taking in his life. He really got set up on this trajectory as a child, as a small child. And, you know, people say things all the time that they don't have any intention or ever doing. And I, he really is doing it. Yeah. His first crop was incredible. Yeah. He tended to him like there was children. Yeah. So did I. Yeah. Yeah. They needed a lot of TLC, but it was a really successful crop, wasn't it? Yeah. He did really, really well. Not bad for a 14-year-old kid. Yeah. You know, it was just survived cancer. Gave him a focus. Hmm. Became quite an expert, really, in growing. Knowing that I'm making my own medicine from it uh, is really reassuring and uh, it's a good feeling. Yeah, and it's, well, well, that's what he's doing now at university. Yeah, I know, it's mad, isn't it? What is he doing exactly? He's doing uh, cannabis chemistry and biology yeah. at the University of Colorado, <clears throat> Pueblo. Mm -hmm. um, so he's learning all about the science of cannabis Brilliant. and how to grow it and then the, the applications. And he said to me the other day that he's interested in the research side, which oh. was really exciting for me. I thought that he was more interested in the cultivation side. Yeah. But he's actually interested in research and he's interested in working in a lab and wow. looking at the medical applications of it, Excellent. which I think is really exciting because there are so many medical applications yeah. of yeah. it. He'll do really well at yeah. it. Yeah. And even though it was controversial at the time, Paul and Sean's mum, Linda, and her best friend, Gaz Whelan's mum, Sandra, were fully supportive of our decision and it even inspired Paul's dad, Derek, to use it when he was sick too. How did you feel when we, when we told you about giving him cannabis to help treat it? Anything, anything. Oh, God, anything. Yeah. yeah. Give him anything that would yeah. treat him. Yeah. Mm. Bloody hell, I'll mm. say, yeah. Did you watch Weed the People? Yeah, I did. And I've told a hundred other people to watch Weed the People. Mm, I mean, when I watched that programme, you know, about the weed, oh. and I seen it, I cried for a week. Oh, I yeah. couldn't stop crying. It's very hard to get older. It's hard to get older. I mean, yeah. I think they do yeah. prescribe it for people with multiple sclerosis yeah. and Parkinson's disease. But I mean, that, that is proof that how it works, isn't it? So what the hell are they waiting for now? It should be open to everybody mm. now, shouldn't it? Especially people oh. with cancer. Look at the way Derek yeah. went. Yeah. I was just so relieved mm. when, you know, we got the yeah. cannabis yeah. over Derek yeah. and it was the only thing yeah. that gave him any relief from the pain mm. that he was in. But like I say, when you told me about Chico and his cancer, I just oh, prayed God, it had yeah. gone, it had oh. given it me back. So with hindsight going back now, how do you feel about having gone through, like, you know, God gave you this huge trauma to live through, which was your son potentially dying of cancer. Mm -hmm. If you could go back in time and wipe that clean and make that not have happened, would you do that or not? 
Yeah, I'd wipe it away. Would you? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was too much. It was pretty bad, wasn't it? Yeah, it was However, intense. I always said to him when he was sick, when you've got through this, we'll be really grateful for you having gone through it because That's of true. the experience. Because where would he be if he hadn't gone through that? Mm. He might be he might be doing something completely different. Now he's got a life purpose. Yeah. That's true. Hindsight's shit. Yeah. I mean, I think, yeah, it was horrible and I wouldn't wish it on anybody, but I think because he's got through it and he's in a really good place now, I'm actually grateful yeah. that that was given as an experience because he got through it. Well, we all got it was it. an experience. Um, I'd rather not have had it, though. No, it was horrible. Yeah. But I do feel like it's made him, it's made all of us better people as a result of... I'll agree with that. It certainly made that. his life different. Yeah. You know. I mean, obviously, the outcome was really positive. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know, it's just interesting to think about, isn't it? Yeah. If you could turn back the clock, what would you do? But we didn't, we didn't have any control over it. None no control whatsoever. Well, we did. We did. We had control over what we did alongside the medical mm-hmm. treatment. We're back again. We're in Los Angeles. Mm-hmm. Uh, your mum came last week, didn't she? She did, what yeah. What was that like? That was great. It was <laughs> great to see her out of Manchester. Yeah, what did you for do? For the first time in 30 years. Yeah, I took her to the... Roosevelt Hotel. Yeah, that's where we put her and my dad up back in 89. Yeah. Yeah. And um, I recorded a bit of her going in and she got all tearful. Did I I send it to you? Oh, yeah, you sent it to me. She got emotional, didn't she? Good memories. Yeah. But they weren't tears of sadness, they were tears of joy. Well, but tinged with sadness because Derek wasn't there. That's true. I think that was the sad part, wasn't it? Yeah, that's true. We'd only just got in the rose of hell when we heard gunshot <laughs> gunshots. Somebody up the road had fired a gun at somebody. And I'd never seen a fire engine as big as that. I was in awe of a fire engine. It, half of it had gone round the down one street and the other half was still in the next street. Yeah. Well, I had a great time with her. She stayed with you for 10 days and stayed yeah. with me for 10 days near Palm Springs. Yeah. Took her somewhere different every day. Yeah. Took her to the hot springs to sort her arthritis out. I think Paul knew something was wrong with him because mm. he would not let up about me going. He was determined. And he said to me, you have no excuse, I'm coming for you and I'm bringing you back. It was a wonderful experience. Oh, you really enjoyed it, didn't you? I did, yeah. Yeah, Uh, Going somewhere every day and, you know, absolutely fascinated by the tracks in all the mountains that the Indians had made over the years. And when he showed me the casinos where they all... You know, the, well, on the Indian them, land, you know, where everybody yeah. went to gamble and yeah. what have you. And then what? A few weeks later, he's no longer with us. Yeah. She cut a leg in big lots. She cut a eight stitches. Big, yeah. <laughs> we shouldn't talk about that because there's a compensation claim going Absolutely. on. Absolutely. <laughs> Quite right too. And then the British Airways messed your flight up, didn't they? Oh, God, yeah. Yeah, that was a nightmare. Trying to just get in here was a nightmare. Why? What happened? Well, we didn't know you had to have a um, 
a COVID negative COVID test within 24 hours of traveling. So we was at the airport with plenty of time. Um, but don't forget, she could, she can't walk very well. And they sent us to the train station at the airport where the testing site was. Was. <laughs> so it took us half an hour to walk there because the moving walkways wasn't working. Mm. And that's like the fourth time I've been there in a matter of months, still not working at Manchester Airport. Mm. And they wouldn't give her a wheelchair because she'd not checked in and she walked with a stick. Yeah, and we couldn't check in because we hadn't added negative COVID test. So we walked all the way over to the station and the place wasn't there anymore. They'd moved it to Terminal 2. So we had to walk from the station to Terminal 2 very, very slowly. If it was on my own, I would have done it. I would have made it. Yeah. But she's like 80 years old and walks with a stick. Yeah. So um, we ended up missing our flight by 15 minutes. And what did BA do? Absolutely nothing. Really? Didn't want to help us, couldn't be bothered. And they made you pay for another flight? Made us pay for another flight. But wow. um, I won't say too much about that because I'm constructing a letter to BA in my head <laughs> as we speak. <laughs> So British Airways never did give Paul his money back for those two flights that they made him pay for after it was their fault that they missed the ones that he'd booked. So I think they should fly out the rock and roll mums to Los Angeles so they can have a trip here together and we can film their adventures visiting Hollywood. How hilarious would that be? Does anyone know anyone at BA that we can ask? (laughs) Yeah, but she had a really good time. She had a really good... Once she got here, she had a great time. It was really good to see. I don't think she'll come again. I think it was all a bit too much for the... The travelling part. The travelling, yeah. Yeah. You'll be coming again soon, won't you? No, I think I've had enough. I'm just like, I couldn't go through all that travelling again. But I have no Mm. sense of direction. No way could I go in an airport. I finished up on the roof. Of Tesco stores in Truro. See what I mean? Do try to sell I went the wrong way. We could go to LA and go on a cruise to America because I've been to America on a cruise. Yeah, but I don't like. I can't swim. I don't like. Well, you even if you could swim, you'd have no bloody chance if you say we're going down, would you? You'd have no. But I don't like swim anyhow. I don't like water. We'll try and get her to come on, but she's a bit shy, isn't she? She was very shy, yeah. yeah. She has some great stories. I know, sitting round the fire at night. Mm-hmm. I, I learned a few things that I didn't know oh, about you. Oh, you did, yeah. did you? I did. I learned oh. a few things, yeah. So what kind of music are you listening to now? Oh, wow. Um, <laughs> I'm probably a little... I'm probably about two or three years late on these, these people. Um, but one of them's Mac Miller who unfortunately is not with us anymore. I think he was like 21 when he died. One of them is Mac Miller. I think Mac Miller was a genius. Yeah. Genius. And the other one is uh, Baxter Jory, Ian Jory's son. Wow. Um, I've just recently got into him, and I think he's a genius as well. You've got to check him out on YouTube. I will, I will. Yeah. So... Who do you... Who would you like to collaborate with next? Oh, Baxter Jory. Really? Do you think yeah. you're going to do that? I'd, I'd love to. Yeah. Whether he wants a bass line off me or not. Yeah. But I think it. Re- I think one of my bass lines would really suit him. Really? Yeah. So you're reaching out to him then? Uh, it's in the process. Oh, really? 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. Whatever. He doesn't know it yet, but it's in the process. So if anyone has a connection to Baxter Drury, let him know Paul was a big fan and was hoping to work with him. And if he wants a bass line, we might be able to just dig one out for him. Whatever happened to Petula Clark? Remember you met her? In oh, yeah, it was a way to, a way to write something for Petula. Um, I don't know, she's still alive. I think she's still alive, yeah. yeah she's still, still, I think she's still singing. I think it's really cool when people from different eras get together and collaborate. That yeah. makes some interesting... Uh... Yeah, it, 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 Pet Shop Boys did it with a couple, didn't they, from the 60s? Mm. A couple of uh, artists. Well, the Mondays did as well. You did a couple of songs with... You oh, did... with... Um, 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 <laughs> Carl. Carl Denver. We did a song with Cal, Mr. Wimmerway himself, how Cal did, Denver. How did that come about, the Cal That Denver? came about because of the Bailey brothers that made our videos. And Philip Shotton was one of the Bailey brothers. I was like a, a bit of a Cal Denver obsessive for some bizarre reason that I'd like rediscovered him. And I had an album by him, which I really loved because it was, it was just, I don't know, it was just... It, I don't know if it was nostalgia, or, but he just had a dead unique style called Denver and some great songs. So um, one day in the evening news or somewhere, we found out that he was living in Manchester um, and he was living in Reddish. So um, we got in touch with him and went for a pint with him in Reddish. And I was like, you're just great. And um, he's going, what do you guys do? And we told him. So I had a really good chat on with him and... Got on great, but it was just like kind of meeting your hero kind of thing. It wasn't anything behind it. And then probably the next day we told Wilson, oh, guess what? We met Carl Denver. Do you remember him? Where were we? He's going, what do you mean you met him? And he's going, well, yeah, he does the cabaret around Manchester. He's playing. We were going to go and see him in North Manchester. Can't remember. It was like a supper joint. It was like uh, literally, you know, with your ticket, you got like scampi and chips or chicken in a basket or whatever. So Wilson, go, that sounds great. So we've all got to go. You know, it was like like factory trip out. So I don't know how it became like the Mondays. I don't know how it became in his head, but he did take the Mondays and us to watch Carl Denver in this supper club. We were all, wow. And um, the next thing I really knew was, yeah, they were going to do a song with him and um, Mike Pickering was going to remix Wim Away and he was part of the factory team and they were going to sign him and shit. So it happened quite quickly. And then, of course, they did Lazy Ice, which was, I thought was brilliant because it was where they dragged that song from. And, um, yeah, so... And that was quite fun because we had them playing football in the, the, the... The high concept for that was... We'd come up with a concept that they could maybe fit in with, which was in prison, in the rain, playing football. It's your only, like, you know, it's going to be a lovely moment, you know, it's your one bit of freedom and... So we had to get rain in Manchester, which isn't as easy as you think, because we obviously had to schedule it. So what we did was, this is again where we blew the budget. We got a pitch underneath the Mancunian Way in Hume and um, got a rain machine, a guy from down south who was a rainmaker, and he completely built above the five-a-side pitch. He built a rain machine, so we had rain on tap and uh, lit it, and it's like, you know, prison guards and all that. The funniest thing about that was because they got we said just get all your mates down we'll have a proper kick around and stuff, and um, we'd got the, the the costumes were like original strange ways prison uniforms and I remember going in to like give them like their costumes going right lads you just got to put these on they were all horrified you know it was like I'd really overstepped the mark they were like got to put these on you know 
the last time I had one of these on, it was all like that. It was all like, oh, God. But, uh, yeah, they all joined in, and there's some good faces in that video. And Derek's in it, obviously Paul's dad's in it, he's, and uh, John. They was writing a movie script called The Mad Fuckers, and Carl Denver was somehow involved in that. <gasps> and uh, they wanted us to do a song with him. So we chose Lazy Itis, and it was, uh, it was a really odd mixture. Yeah. But it, it worked really of, well, though, it, didn't it? Yeah, it worked. It worked. It's a good song. And good other song. people you've collaborated with, uh, Kirsty McCall. Kirsty, yeah. Talk about that. Kirsty was on the first um, ever Top of the Pops appearance with the Mondays yeah. with Hallelujah. She became involved because... We got um, we got her husband, Steve Lillywhite, did a mix of Hallelujah and put Kirsty on it. So she ended up being on top of the pops with first ever appearance. And what was she like? She was great. I think she was pregnant at the time, but she was great. Um, her favourite thing to do was go in the BBC bar and buy a bottle of pink champagne to take home with her. Because the BBC bar was regulated. Yeah. So all the drinks was like 50 pence or something. Yeah. But all the pink champagne was like two quid. <laughs> so uh, that was her thing. Yeah. Yeah. So do you remember chatting to her about anything in particular? Or were you starstruck? Did you, were you... No, I wasn't starstruck. I was, it was my first ever Top of the Pops. I was just in awe of everything. You know, all I kept thinking throughout the day was, fuck, I'm going to be on top of the pops, <laughs> which is what I wanted to be since I was probably five years, six years old. And what I've, what I've heard over the years was people saying, I watched that top of the pops, it changed my life. Wow. Was it an era of live vocals or...? Um, or not? I think it was all miming. I know Sean yeah. did do live vocals on some of the pops a couple of times. Yeah, and how did that go? Great. Yeah, really? He had, yeah, he had his piece of paper, the famous one where he had his piece of paper with his words brought on it. <laughs> kind of looked cool, actually. But you were, my, as musicians, you were all miming to the backing track, presumably. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it was easy for us. Yeah. Just... Have you ever done a whole mime anywhere? Like even Sean miming on any TV? Oh, yeah. Yeah? Yeah. Like versions of Top of the Pops in Europe, mm. especially Spain and France. Mm. We did a few shows, well in mind. Did you do, you did TFI Friday, didn't you? I don't think did I've ever not... done TFI Friday. When Sean, Sean was interviewed on TFI Friday, when he swore, famously swore and got oh, banned. famously swore, Did, did yeah. the Mondays not play on TFI Friday? No. Oh, so what was he doing on there then? Just uh, a guest? Probably just a guest. Yeah. Yeah. Can you remember other TV? Did you do The Word? I did The Word. What was that like? That would have been all live, wouldn't it? Yeah. Yeah, it was like we had a nice PA system set up, the Oz PA set up for us in, in the studio. Mm -hmm. So it was like doing a real concert. Mm -hmm. Can you remember who else was on The Word that night? No. No. Did you no. meet Terry? Um, I don't think I spoke to him that night, but I've met him on lots of occasions. Oh, you did his... It showed, didn't you, on ITV? Yes, it was big arm. Yes, we did. <laughs> Something else I forgot about. That was good. We've talked about that before, though. Yeah, yeah. Well, you had five outfits and we recorded all the 
the bits in one day and then just rotated them because we didn't yeah. have a, a clever idea. Budget, was you know? that you? Yeah, of course it was. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, what other memorable TV shows have you done? Ooh. The Other Side of Midnight. The Other Side of Midnight, that was our first TV. That was such a good show, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, that was our first the ever very TV. very first TV was The Other Side of Midnight. Yeah. That's really cool. Yeah, that was a prestigious one to pull off. That was when Tony was getting into us. Yeah. Like, I remember around that time I was producing The Hitman and Her. Right. And I was, me and John Barrett, yeah. who is my mate who I worked with on it, we were desperate to get the Mondays on The Hitman and Her. Oh, wow. We would but have done it. I know, Pete Waterman didn't want it though. No. Pete Waterman, it's like, it was too, a step too far, I think, for him. I think we would have Would you have bit... done it? Wouldn't that have been brilliant though? Yeah, because we all used to watch The Hitman and Her after the Hacienda. Did you? When it used to close at two o'clock, yeah. and if we hadn't gone to a club, we'd get, get back to wherever we was going. Yeah. And The Hitman and Her would be on TV. Yeah. It was genius. Yeah. We had to take that on before they were famous. I remember yeah. that. Pete wasn't happy about that though. Oh. Because they weren't his, were they? Ah, oh, right. There wasn't Pete no. Waterman. But much respect it. for Pete. I love, did love Pete. Do love Pete. He good. wrote some good songs. Yeah, genius. Yeah. Wrote some really good songs. Okay, so we're back again. Hi. Hello. Hi. Did, did you have a good week? I've had a good week, yeah. What have you done? Um, I bought a miniature bass guitar. A miniature bass guitar. A miniature bass guitar. Why on earth? I wanted you... one for a while, actually. Why? Um, well, it was only hundred and fifty dollars to start right. off with, uh, and they're good for working out bass lines because the neck's smaller and you can get your fingers to different places quickly. Is that so that you don't have to exercise your arm muscles? As yeah, much? <laughs> it's even easier to play. Paul's best friend, Monday's drummer, Gaz Whelan, remembers another time when Paul didn't want to exercise his arm muscles too much. I don't think he ever broke a sweat in his life, has he? I mean, I remember when we, when we first used to go in the pub after rehearsals. I was 16 and Paul would have been 18. And I, I just started smoking. Sean smokes, uh, Mark didn't. And I said to Paul, why don't you smoke? Is it because you're asthma? And he went, no, all that. Two and four for the arm, that's way too much work. I don't understand though, what, how could it be easier than what, you used to, what you've been playing for 30 odd, 40 odd years? The, the neck is smaller and you don't have to move your hands as much. When he was younger, I really looked up to him, you know, he was a couple of years older, I could relate to him, and I really looked up to him in lots of ways, you know. He was, I know this is hard to believe, but he was actually quite lively. <laughs> he, he was. Don't get me wrong, he was never swift of foot, you know what I mean? But he was quite lively and, you know, and talkative and, and, and quick and funny and, 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 and he, was, he, was, he, was, he was my hero. He was, you know, I'm not just saying that, he was. And, he, you know, he was funny, he was smart, he was, I was well-dressed. We got on with the same sense of humour, we loved music. He told me about music. What were the names that you had for him that you've mentioned Omar Sharif? Omar, Alf Roberts, uh, Schnorbitz, uh, his best nickname wasn't even a name, it was a, it was a bass line. So we'd like, if, we, if we'd walk down the streets and we'd see like uh, some like uh, animated version of him, someone loosely overweight uh, with dark hair, dark skin and a big nose, I'd just go ding, 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 ding. One of his early bass lines was ding, 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 ding. I think the song was called 
weekend starter series or something. It was, we started with the baseline, and Paul Davis would do it, so we'd, see, we'd, we'd hear or see something, and we'd just go ding, 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 ding. And even now, well, not, even now, see, he's not, he's not alive anymore. But, you know, we'd, we'd, we'd be walking down the street and something had happened, and Paul would just go ding, 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 and put my, you know how we put my voice on? He'd go ding, 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 ding. And that was it. He, was, he, had, he had a nickname that was, wasn't even a name, it was a baseline. So you've been writing new material? I was writing new material. Ah, okay. On the computer. Well, we'll play some of it later, shall we? Yeah, let's, let's do that. So who are you working with right now? Uh, just me. Just me on my own. What, you're doing everything? The beats and the vocals? and mm -hmm. Really? Yeah. You're singing again? Mm-hmm. I never knew that. Oh, yeah. And what kind of style would you describe it as? Um, more chill-out groove stuff. Right. Yeah, very chilled out. What, like Café Del Mar? Yeah, with spoken word. Okay. Can you give us a bit of a sneak preview into what kind of words you're speaking? I can't remember any of them. I need them <laughs> written down in front of me. Do you do it, like, off the cuff or do you write it first? Um, mixture of both. Really? Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Well, we'll hear... Some, can we play some of that later at the end of the Yeah, of course show? you can. Brilliant. Okay. Mm. Anything else you've been up to this week? Um, just dreading this all week. Why have you been dreading it? Because it's Sunday morning, 10 o'clock. <laughs> and you got me here to speak about my infidelity. Yeah, that's true. It's been coming for a while, hasn't it, this? But we yeah. have to go there, yeah. don't we? Let's first of all talk about generally when you're in a band and you're surrounded by fans and presumably I know you said you didn't really get groupies but you did have a few like is there sort of pressure on you to be unfaithful like just tell me what your take is on infidelity overall well mine particular one of them was when I got clean I think I turned to sex right a bit of a sex addiction well that was the excuse that I used in order to be able to forgive you oh <laughs> let's wind back and I explain I like that excuse no it was I think I came up with it and you latched yeah. onto it oh yeah so it was it was when Chico was a babe no it was going on when I was pregnant with Chico actually oh, wasn't right. it yeah um, and I didn't find out about it until Chico had been born You'd relapsed and you'd gone to Eric Clapton's rehab in Antigua. That's right, yeah. And I got a phone call from a guy mm. out of the blue and he mm. said, I'm really sorry to tell you this, but, <clears throat> excuse me, I'm not crying, I'm just, I've got a frog in my throat. Um, he said, but your husband's been having an affair with my girlfriend. Oh, my God. And I was like, what? He's in Antigua. And then I remembered that, because I got used to always get the phone bills and there was this number that you'd kept texting like an insane amount of time over the last few months and I'd asked you who it was and you'd said it was a guy mm -hmm. and it was a guy I'd never met or never heard of so I was a little bit weirded out by that mm -hmm. so then it all fell into place and I thought oh wow he's been having a vet and I don't know how or why but I called Rowetta or somehow Rowetta found out or I, I don't know how we communicated and she's like, I'm coming round with a bottle of whiskey. <laughs> and so she came round that night and we stayed up all night drinking whiskey. And oh. she was a really good friend to me that around that time. Oh, yeah. That's good. And um, so at that point, I think Sonny was two and Chico was a baby. Mm. Um, 
So I think a normal person would have probably broken up with you at that point. I think so too. Because you're in rehab for, I think it was crack that you'd gone, I can't remember, or maybe it was a mixture of several different substances. I, I don't know. So, yeah. um, but I decided to go to Antigua to go and participate in the family programme. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, and then I kind of, I think I rationalised it by saying, well, you'd, well, you haven't got clean though because you were in rehab. So, no, but maybe I, I when it started been... off, you'd been clean. Yeah. yeah. yeah so yeah, in yeah. my mind, you'd put down drugs and mm-hmm. alcohol, but picked up sex. Picked up picked sex. Up. And eventually back to drugs. Yeah, and then went back to drugs. So yeah, yeah. so you were legged with two different addictions going mm-hmm. on. Mm-hmm. Um. So for good or for bad, we kind of got through that, didn't we? One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Way. Yeah, we got through. How did you feel? Awful. Did you really? Did you feel guilt? Yeah, I felt guilt and shame. Or were you not just annoyed that you got caught? And that as well. <laughs> that was the main, the main <laughs> one. No, the guilt and the shame was awful. Especially when I got cleaner in the rehab. I mean, it was a good job I was in rehab. Right, but isn't that the one where on the way to the airport you relapsed again? No, was that the second time that you went the there? Time. Oh, that's another story then, I suppose. <laughs> so I don't really remember. You came back, and then what happened after you got back? How it like? How did we get through that? Like that's a big, that's a really big one to get over, mm. isn't it? But yeah, it was a bit heavy. I'm glad I was out of the way. Well, you weren't. You were back then was at I? that point. Yeah. Did you ever see her again? No. Really? Mm, never. What you just dumped her unceremoniously? Wasn't that a More bit than harsh? likely. Wasn't that a bit harsh? Not really. I think it probably was. She had a boyfriend. Right, yeah, okay. All right, so that was number one. Number one. <laughs> that was number one that I knew about. And only kind of much later did I realise that there were probably loads of others that I didn't know about. Just having a drink. No, there wasn't loads of others. Were there not? No, really? Seriously. I thought there were. So I no. found out about all of them. Yeah. Did I? Mm. Yeah, you would say that though, wouldn't you? <laughs> you did. I, you found out about everything. Okay. So what do you remember about that period after you'd got back from Antigua? 
Really, not much. No. I wasn't working, I know that. No, you're in a bad place, really. I think you'd, you'd yeah. lost the band, hadn't you? You'd, you'd mm. left the band because you didn't want to yeah. relapse on drugs, but you'd relapsed on drugs anyway. Yeah. The band actually wasn't even operating as a as a fake Mondays, was it, at that point? Mm. And I don't know what... Was Sean doing Black Grape? At the, no, he wasn't. No. He was doing solo stuff, maybe. I think so, yeah. Yeah. So that was a pr- pretty bleak period for you. Very bleak. Wasn't it? Yeah. And you slumped into lots of depressions and locked yourself away. The boys still remember you locking yourself away in that room, being smoking and being in a black mood. Oh, in that back bedroom? Yeah. They remember that? Yeah, they do. Oh, God. We were talking about it the other day, actually. Oh. Yeah. So then Big Arm came about after that, didn't it? Yeah. And we've already talked about Big Arm, so we won't go into detail about that now. No. So, well, are we, we gonna... can play a song, though. Yeah, we can play... Should we play... Oh, let's play a song to lighten the mood a bit. Okay. Which is your favourite Big Arm track? Um, ironically, Love Is. Oh, yeah, that's a good one. Yeah. <laughs> OK, we're going to play it at the end of the episode and we'll be reminding you that the Big Arm album Radiator releases on November the 19th, but you can pre-order it from November the 12th, so get yourself a copy. We're going to also be releasing a compilation of other tracks that Paul's done outside of the Mondays over the years, and that too will be out soon. OK, so we were in L.A., you were back in the Mondays. Everything was going really well. Um, it was before Chico got sick. Mm-hmm. And my mum came to visit. Oh. And we, and we, <laughs> we realised that she was starting with dementia, Alzheimer's. Yeah. Do you remember that? And oh, she came yeah. to stay with us for like two or three months. You were really good actually because you never once said oh I don't want to hear and she was quite a handful mm. but you were actually really sweet to her and she used to give you a really hard time do you remember her shouting at you in the kitchen yeah of course I do <laughs> what did she say well, she, I know what you're doing you're waiting for me to wash these pots <laughs> <laughs> I know what you're doing yeah Really right in my face, though. Yeah, I know. Yeah. <laughs> because she, because she, she had to wash the dishes or something. What? She just took it upon herself to wash the dishes. Yeah. My time scale wasn't good enough for her. Right. So it was a conspiracy. Yeah. But during that time, you said to me, "Oh, I've got a D." You were doing DJ gigs. Where? Yeah. Tell me about some of the places you went to. Oh God, um, Colorado, Texas. Um, Dallas. How like was there a fan base of people that came to see Paul Ryder playing records in these uh, far-flung towns? The, the, the people was already in the club because it was that type of club, indie indie music type right. club. So the clubs was always full because it was that particular night. But did you get people asking for autographs and things like that, or was it a few times? Yeah, yeah. Tyler Jacobson was a club promoter in Denver, Colorado, and he often had rock star DJs in his club. We had one of the biggest club nights in the country of our kind, and we had Mike and Andy come through from the Smiths. We had Hookie out. We had, you know, Tim Burgess out on a few occasions. Um, We had Manny out. I mean, we had all of these people we considered just to be legends to be gods it was it was like entering mount olympus you know to to be uh, to interact with um the people that we'd interacted with and when paul came out 
And I, I just kind of reflected on it. And I said, you know, what more could this night possibly give me? And especially for a place like Colorado, it, it was very unheard of. It wasn't New York. It wasn't L.A. So to be able to bring through some of these people who had never even performed here or hadn't performed here in 20 years, um, it was it, it was significant, I think, definitely for us as human beings, but also, I think, for the crowd and the city and really building up the night. Right. Um, and, and it was a really special thing, too. I remember Hookie coming out and being disappointed that he was up in a DJ booth and wanting things to be on the floor so he could actually interact with some some fans. Um, so I, you know, I, I hope it, it was something that, you know, people like Paul found um, rewarding as well as to be able to interact yeah. with with the people who've, yeah. you know, been following. Yeah. And there were some people buzzing because he is in there, you know. You do have people like me who's, you know, who we came up on all of this stuff. We still love it. Um, I, I have a great photograph of um, one of my friends, Greg, just giving Paul a big old kiss on the cheek. Um, mm -hmm. You know, I mean, it was, it's, yeah, it, it was significant. Did you yeah. enjoy it? Did you kind of get off on the celebrity aspect of it? I enjoyed picking the records. Yeah. I didn't enjoy putting them on and mixing and all that why not just not my bag did you actually have to mix them or did you pre did you pre-do it on a computer how, how did that work this is the days before you could do it on computer oh, okay. before beat match and all that right so i did it manually yeah did you get nervous before you were doing your dj sets like... yeah oh really yeah yeah well what happens if you put a song on the fucking crowd just disappears <laughs> Like on another one of, then don't kind of failure and what sort of music were you playing indie music like what some, name some of the tracks that you liked some manchester stuff a lot of manchester stuff yeah uh, a lot of new order acr yeah uh, and whatever was going around at the time if you had to pick one manchester track that you would be your go-to what, what's your kind of favorite seminal Manchester track. Ooh. Ooh. It would probably be a New Order song. Yeah. And probably Ceremony. Ceremony, you said yeah. that before, yeah. Yeah. We saw New Order here a few years ago, didn't we? Yes, we did. He's still friends with Bernard. He used to have a shop up the road from, or his wife used to have a shop up the road from your mum, didn't she? Yeah, his first wife. Yeah. Sue. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've not I've not spoken to him for many years. No. No. Anyway, so let's go back. <laughs> so you said to me, I've got a DJ gig in Portland, but I need to go like five days before the gig. Mm -hmm. Do you remember that? Oh, yeah, this is what you're talking about. <laughs> OK. Let me prepare for this. Yeah, it's Go a good on. one. Go on. So my mum was staying with us and she, had, she was starting with Alzheimer's. So, yeah. like, things were a bit rough, really, weren't they? Yeah. Um, you weren't really working other than doing the odd DJ gig here mm -hmm. and there. Mm -hmm. um, and we were kind of struggling to make it work in L.A. Mm -hmm. um, and I remember one night, just so we, so we'd booked these flights for you to go to Portland and you're meant to be staying with your old tour manager who lived there. Yeah. Um, and I saw this message on your Facebook saying, I can't remember what it said now, something like, 
oh, I love you, darling, and can't wait to see you in oh. Portland. Oh. And it was the night before you were going. Oh, so, like, goodness. before you were going, I knew that you were going to meet somebody, but you still barefaced denied it. Mm. I don't know how you got away with denying it. I was a good liar. No, you were. Well, actually, no, you probably were a good liar, but I, came, I think I became kind of good at knowing when you were lying. Mm. So you went to go and meet this girl in Portland. What happened? I went to go and meet her. Yeah. <laughs> and and how, how was it? Because it was like five days. Yeah. And you knew that I knew because I was phoning you incessantly the whole time. Yeah. It was awful. <laughs> I'm glad I ruined <laughs> it for you. <laughs> Completely ruined. <laughs> it was, it was awful. What were you feeling? I don't know what I was feeling. I was on too many, uh, too much prescribed medication. Well, that was one of the problems, wasn't it? Because when you got clean, you were you were put on, I think, seven different psychiatric meds yeah. that all were kind of interacting with each other. Mm -hmm. So I never kind of felt that you really were clean, clean, because you were still being medicated and those medications were kind of abusable as well so you were knocking yourself out a lot with those yeah obviously. no excuse for infidelity obviously <laughs> so you came back from there yeah. do you remember coming back do you remember how you felt on the plane coming home i really don't know i have, n I have no idea I, I had no feelings at that time it was i was highly medicated so you just kind of numb to everything yeah yeah like i was in a different reality yeah but it, I thought it was okay because it was prescribed. Right. You know. But it was you, strong. It was strong medication. How did you justify going off to meet a girl? I didn't justify it. I oh, just did it. Yeah, because my mum was still staying with us oh, right. when, when you came back. So I couldn't even have a proper argument with you because <laughs> my mum was there. Oh, lucky for me. <laughs> and then she sent me a really nasty text. Cause you, you sent her a text saying sorry, I can't see you again, it's all over. And then she sent me a text saying, you evil cow. Oh. Um, I know that was you. He would never have sent me a text like that. Oh. Do you remember? No. I was fuming. <laughs> anyway, so we got through that, didn't we? We went, we went to counselling, which was probably a waste of time. Yeah. Um, but we got through that just because, why did we get to, how did we get through that? I don't know, forgiveness on your behalf. Oh, stupidity. No, forgiveness. I don't know. I don't know how you get through. forgiving person. Yeah, but or, or desperate to just keep my family together because we had two kids and I didn't want my boys to grow up in a broken home. True. Um, but, you know, really, I should have left at that point, shouldn't I? Mm -hmm. But also, when, you, when you're set in a fixed life with somebody, it's very difficult to just break up mm. when you're a family and you've got a house and you've got a life, like... Making that decision to break up is a massive decision and it's it requires a huge amount of effort. Yeah. So, like, a lot of times it's easy just to forgive and try and move on because you're, you know, it's a kind of the lazy way out, I guess. Okay. Or the way out that doesn't make you challenge yourself. It's like the kind of the easy, the easy route. Mm. But I think I did it because I didn't want my marriage to break up. We got through that, and I don't know how we got through that, but we did. And then very soon after that was when Chico got ill. So any kind of marital issues were, like, completely irrelevant at that yeah. point. Like, that, it was just all put on the back burner because yeah. it was all about Chico all about and Chico. all about getting Chico better. I'm right, so. 
Yeah. yeah. In fact, we probably stayed together longer than we would have done because Chico <laughs> got sick. We're still on the subject of infidelity. Oh, How do you feel yeah. talking about this? Awful. It's not, uh, it's not one of my favourite subjects. Paul and Sean's mum, Linda, and Gaz Whelan's mum, Sandra, both had very happy marriages before losing their husbands. So you two both had very, very successful marriages, didn't you? Both of you. How, how, how many years did you clock up together? Well, I was only we'd have been married 60, 62 years this year, yeah. and Derek's been oh, dead five years Coming four years now, but five years at Christmas. So you did 57 years, and what did you do, Sandra? We did 62, but I was only 15 when we met, yeah. Well, I was only 16 when me and Derek met. So, what's the secret, both of you answer this, what's the secret to a happy, successful marriage, would you say? Give and take. Yeah, exactly. And backing one another up, even if you don't agree with it, especially with kids. Yeah. Backing one another yeah, up. Everybody falls out, and you know what you've do. got to me, haven't you? And you've got children to consider. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Mm. I mean, the number. Well, the number of times I felt leave, like leaving Derry, and I've oh, told yeah. him. Yeah. You know, was unbelievable. Well, and he yeah, said, "Well, yeah. why didn't you leave me?" Yeah. And I said to him, "Because I knew you'd only go and bring me back." Yeah, I mean, but and he, he used to say, "You're right, bigger yeah, you, aren't no. you?" Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. No, but it's interesting, isn't it? It's, it's something that a lot of people can relate to. It's hardly, you know, you're hardly the only person. Mm-hmm. It's good now it's all over and done with and it's all behind us. I just think it's really, really brilliant that we can sit here and laugh about it, really, mm. or, or really talk about it openly and honestly. Yeah. I'm just glad it's all over with. Yeah. Yeah. 
Sunday's drummer Gaz Whelan still struggles with the loss of Paul. He wasn't the healthiest man on the planet, Paul. So I, I, I always expected to get a phone call saying he's had a heart attack or something or he's killed over. And I, I kind of half expected that sometime. But when it came, it still, it, it just seems weird. It's like, I just don't seem, you know, uh, it, it just seems weird. Do you feel that Sean has, it, it's affected Sean much? I don't see much of Sean, so it's hard to say. And it's that, you know, it's, I, I don't, I don't really see him. So I really don't know. I really don't know. It's, when you did the first gig after Paul had died, was Sean any different? Was he, did he say anything? Did he pay tribute in any way? I mean, he did, he did pay tribute, but I can't remember what he said. I know Rowetta did, I know, I know it, 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 I've noticed, I say I don't really spend time with Sean, so I don't know, but I spend time with Rowetta, and Rowetta, Rowetta's, I can say it's affected her. We all, we all, we all used to kind of keep our own little bubbles travelling, and we've, it's kind of brought us together, bizarrely enough. I don't know why, but we have, we're a bit more, we're, we're more tolerant of each other. Yeah. You know, uh, even more so, it's definitely had an effect. It's definitely had an effect. I've noticed it on Rowetta and Mark. I don't know if they've noticed it with me. In music, especially Paul, you know, they taught me how to, how to be very, I don't want to use the word cool because that's wrong, but how to, be, how to underplay things, how to downplay things. Don't oversell yourself. Don't do the big thing, I'm the greatest, I'm the best, or don't, uh, don't, go for, don't do the obvious, don't say the obvious, you know, don't, don't, don't play the game so obviously, you know what I mean? And he was really good at that. And, uh, and it's hard to do these days, you know. It's Paul on my shoulder all the time, you know. Don't make a dick of yourself. Don't, you know, because I would, you know, and don't, uh, you know, keep, keep it real. And there was something recent where I, something, I throw something in live, I kept something weird on the drums, and straight away I looked round to me, right? And he, he, I just get that glance off him. You know, he wouldn't, he wouldn't, he'd just, it'd just be a look, and I knew the look would be, or it'd be like, you know, if he didn't, you know, and, it, and he was just thought, Mike, can I still do it now? I looked to me right all the time, you know, because he, because it was, because he was, you know, he was, he was the guy who got, who taught me everything. And I'm not just saying, it's true, he taught me everything musically. He really did. We had exactly the same sense of humour, exactly the same. And, but me and Paul straight away, and he, he remembered, and maybe because me and Paul were, Paul's only two years older than me, so maybe we had, a, we had Mark and Sean are five years older, so maybe there was that. And uh, I thought it's really weird, maybe like my mum and Linda, we just, we just clicked. We, and we, you know, and we had our ups and downs like all married couples do, you know, we fell out of it. But we, I think in, in all the years, I think we only had two arguments, and they were nothing, it was just me being neurotic. Or it, 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 we just did. I don't know. It's just a really weird. It was a really weird double act. <laughs> double act. We were like Derek and Barry. We could read each other's minds. It was really weird. Really, really weird. Uh, you know, we'd be walking down the street and someone had walked down. It looked like and we'd just look at each other. We'd, but then we'd just say, you know, that's uh, you know, whoever, you know. And then look, just someone, you know, we, we just not, both of us would say it. We'd look at each other and go. It'd be, it'd be hilarious, you know. It's. We were in Rill. <laughs> we ended up in this, uh, we used to all go for weekends, this club, and there was just some bad cabaret on. And someone, this comedian come on with a weird-looking face, really weird-looking and dressed. And I looked at Paul and he went, fucking hell, it's Humphrey Cushion. And no-one knew who Humphrey Cushion was, and I, and I just couldn't get my breath for about half an hour. And he, and he, he looked like Humphrey Cushion. 
And I, 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 I remember going, that's just the funniest thing I've ever heard in my fucking... It was the funniest thing I've ever heard in my life. Coming up on the show next week. The window was open and I crept up behind you and grabbed the phone off you. Mm, I don't remember And saw this. this text thread conversation with you and this woman. Oh. It was obviously there was something going on between you, so I called her. We met Ronnie Biggs, uh, great show. Well, it's nice to meet somebody who plays such a, uh, you know, an historical moment in British history. And, uh, yeah, we met Piers Morgan, yeah, yeah. Who actually said I spiked his burger. So it was like me and you and your new partner and her ex-husband yeah. <laughs> and their kids yeah. all around the Christmas dinner table. Yeah. Which was actually really cool, wasn't it? Yeah, it was a really good day. Yeah. People still talk about that Christmas dinner. Before drugs and everything, I didn't. I was more of a beer monster, and they, they disappeared. And I wondered why they're coming back happy. What they're doing? I was smoking weed, weren't they? Didn't they tell me about it? The other project that you're doing in collaboration with Gaz is a movie. Is the movie? <laughs> the movie. <laughs> so it's about a Manchester band who existed 25 years ago and they're offered this uh, great chance to get back together. Right. With, um, but with a uh, unsavory type manager. <laughs> <laughs> Last time I played with him, he wasn't ill. You know, he was happy, you know, he, he didn't even, the thing with the fire and stuff, he, he just was like, you know, he wasn't, he, he wasn't bitter about anything, you know, he's, he seems to be fine. Happy with his kids, happy with everything, you know and grandchildren. So, in a way, that's all, because you've got to look at the good things. We're playing out with the track that Paul mentioned earlier in this episode. It's his favourite big arm track, Love Is. And this is a remix of the track done by Eddie Gronfier, who's a French guy he collaborated with here in Los Angeles. The Big Arm album comes out November the 19th, but it can be pre-ordered from November the 12th. So get yourself a copy of Paul Ryder's Big Arm album, Radiator. Please give this podcast a nice review and rating and subscribe so that you don't miss out on any of our new episodes. If you'd like to watch the video version of this episode, it's available on YouTube from next Sunday at 8 o'clock UK time, where me and Chico will be live in the chat, so do join us. Please support us by joining our patrons club by going to patreon.com forward slash the Paul Ryder tapes. Go to the website, which is paulrider.tv, and check out our shop and bag yourself some big arm merch. And then come and join us in the chat on the socials pages. There's lots going on there. Big, big love to all of you. Have a brilliant week. And thank you so much for being here. Love and thanks to our guests. And, of course, as always, love and thanks to the big star of the show, the one and the only, the late, great, Paul Anthony Big Arm Ryder. Love is a lover like no other. Love is loving you like a brother. Love is seeing you from afar. Cos I hate you just the way you are Some of these things I'm meant for loving Some of these things I just like having Some of these things I'm allowed and living Some of these things I don't like giving Some of these things I'm Listening Productions <laughs>
talked about how significant it was that some suddenly MTV were taking the band seriously. Do you remember that being a thing? 